look at it again and again. So I mentioned that we will be having class in service next Wednesday on the 29th. We'll also be having service uh, this Sunday morning on the 26th. So um, enjoy Christmas and then come and we'll enjoy uh, time together on uh, Sunday morning. And then, of course, the Sunday after that will be the first Sunday in 2022. So looking forward to another fabulous year. Amen. We began 20 years of harvest in 2018, and so hope you're holding on to that word and believing, receiving it by faith. And I know Pam and I certainly are experiencing different levels, new levels, and uh, different types even of harvest, and we are extremely, extremely thankful for it. Praise God. All right, James chapter 2 and verse 12, so speak. And so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, if we were to just take verse 12 as a standalone verse, you know, it almost seemed like he's just telling you, go do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, because after all, you're going to be judged by the law of liberty anyway. But that, that's not what he's talking about here. The context of this provides a, a completely different uh, understanding. He's saying that the way we speak to and what we do towards other people in, in ways that we might be tempted to judge them that we need to speak and act towards other people as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. I remind you again, this is written to born-again believers. Now, last week we, we bit off a pretty big chunk uh, of, of stuff to cover. Really probably should have spread it out over three messages, but we kind of packed it in. Uh, just to kind of give you an overview, an understanding of what the scriptures say about future judgment for all mankind. And we see that every human being will stand before God to be judged by Him. But there's two different lines, and I'm not saying there will be lines, I'm just, again, you know, two different judgment places. The great white throne judgment is where all those who do not know God, have not received Jesus, will be judged. But then the judgment seat of Christ, also referred to as the Bema seat, is where people who have already been born again will go to be judged, not for whether or not we're going to heaven or hell, but we will be judged based upon what we've done in this life with what we were given in this life. What we've done with what we were given. And then that judgment will be based upon our rewards, <clears throat> you'll be rewarded based upon that judgment. And we said those rewards may not seem that important now, but trust me, they're extremely important in the eternity that is ahead for us as God's people. And so when the scriptures talk about laying up or storing up judgment for yourself, like when he says here, mercy to the one Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. 
he, th James is writing to people who've been born again. And, he, and so he's saying that the mercy that we show in this life is, is being stored up for that day or the judgment that, that we show, how critical we are in, in pointing out other people's faults and, and not showing mercy to other people in this life. He says either way, we're, we're accruing one or the other um, for that day. And we, and we made this point, just to kind of bring you up to speed, we made this point, we said that you know, when we stand before God on that day, we want all the good things, all the good works, all the sacrifices, all the things we've done behind the scene and, and, and that the Bible says will now be shouted from the rooftop. You know, we want all that to, 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 to really count and, and be emphasized. But then any of the inconsistencies, any of the things we should have done that we didn't, laziness, whatever, we want a, we want a huge bucket of God's mercy to just be poured on, on all of that, right? But who decides how much judgment or how much mercy you'll be shown on that day? You decide that by how much mercy or judgment you show today. So when he says mercy triumphs over judgment, it literally means to boast against. And we said that it can carry a positive or a negative connotation. And in this particular usage, application in the scriptures, this is speaking of something positive. It, it's, it's, it's literally um, a celebrating, high five. Um, we made this point last week, and, and I'll get on to what we're going to cover today after I get some of this reviewed, but we said that to understand what this means, in football you would get a 15-yard penalty for boasting against an opponent if you like scored a touchdown while they were covering you or you made a, 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 a tackle them really hard or something like that. They call it taunting, you know, where you're like, you know, but, but he's saying that, that mercy goes, yeah, you know, uh, mercy high fives mercy, you know, in the face of the judgment that it defeated. Now, I'm trying to bring a few things together tonight, so I thank you for being patient with me. In the Wednesday before last, <clears throat> we've talked about David... And the scriptures say that he was a man after God's own heart. And we see that the scriptures are clear that, that God sought for him. He looked for a man after his own heart. And obviously, uh, it, it was hard for God to find because he, he had to go to a, a, a young boy to, to, to find someone who qualified as a man after his own heart and we see of course that um, God found that in uh, in David and we said that a man after God's own heart certainly would mean someone who tries to please God but it means more than that someone who is a man after God's own heart is someone who wants to have a heart in them that takes after God's heart. So someone who has a heart in them like the heart of God. Now, as we've worked our way through these things, um, let's go to, uh, praise God, i got two different directions we could go. Let, let's go first to Micah in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 6. And verse number 8, Micah 6 and 8. Now, this is one of those verses that, that some of you, if not most of you, will be familiar with. You just 
may not have thought of it as being an Old Testament verse, um, but it is such a, a, a beautiful passage. Uh, Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. Now, while you're turning there, we may, if we have time, go back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, where we were at the end of our message last Wednesday. But just to remind you, in, there's a portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus tells us, if we're compelled to go one mile, don't complain about it, but instead go two miles. That we should bless those who curse us, that we should pray for those who spitefully use us, that we should do good to those who don't treat us so nicely, that we should turn the other cheek, that we should... Um, uh, you know, not resist an, uh, an evil man. If somebody steals your coat, give them your sweater. You know, that, that whole teaching of Jesus that um, sadly many in the church today have just pretended like is not in the Bible. It's interesting to me how, you know, people who believe in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and in speaking in tongues, that would, that would be us, right? Um, it, we get irritated at people who pretend like all that's not in the Bible when we pretend like there's stuff that's not in the Bible as well. And, and so this is right there in the Bible. And, and, of course, we said that to really understand what Jesus is talking about there, we need to understand it from the perspective of extreme mercy. Extreme mercy. And, and one of the key verses that we, we honed in on last week was that, that Jesus said that when, when we love people who don't love us, when we're good to people who aren't necessarily good to us, when we speak to people who don't speak to us first, that we're being children of our Father in heaven. In other words, we're, we're, we're taking on His disposition. Is what that literally means. We, we, we are developing within us a heart like His heart. And notice, notice when I say developing within ourselves. I, I, obviously, the Holy Spirit helps us. The Word of God helps us. But if we're going to be men and women who take after God's heart, who have a heart like Him... We're going to have to be intentional about that because, because God's heart and, and the way he looks at things, the way he sees things is completely different, completely opposite to the way this world thinks and the way this world sees things. And one of the ways that we've really tried to bring that home is that, that for instance, God is generous. God has a generous heart. And if you're going to be a man or a woman who takes after God, then you're going to have to be a, a generous man or woman. And generosity is something that requires effort and work on our part. But let me tell you, and I, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just saying, the Lord's had me developing this and working on this. And, and your flesh may not like it at first, but the more generous you become, you start tapping into to levels of joy and, and, and levels of, of just... Um, fulfillment and contentment, amen, that I don't believe can be tapped into any other way. Um, so becoming a man or a woman after um, God's own heart. So <clears throat> let's look at the verse, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. It says this, He, God, has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? What does the Lord require of you? He requires to do justly. That means to, to, to do right, just and right and fair. 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So, do you think that God would require us to love mercy if he did not love mercy himself? And I think the answer to that is pretty clear. God loves mercy, and he wants us to love mercy as well. Now remember, we were created in the image and likeness of God. So outwardly we look like him. He wants the interior to match the exterior. In other words, he wants this being that is man that was created in God's image and likeness. He wants us to have an inside that looks like him as much or if anything more than we look like him on the outside a man or woman after God's own heart. So when he tells us to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him, without you know, branching off into another subset sermon series, we, we've already covered you know, the humility of God. God doesn't just tell you to humble yourself. He humbled himself. What do you think Jesus, coming from the throne of the universe to be laid in a calf stall, feeding trough, right? That's him humbling himself for your benefit and, and for mine. And we, of course, know that God is a just God. But at the same time of him doing justly, doing justice, that he also, at the same time, he loves mercy. So loving mercy, loving mercy means loving to receive it. I think we can all relate to that, right? We, we talked about the other day, you know, you get, you get pulled over and the, and, the, and the police officer lets you go with a warning. Ooh, man, we love that, right? We love when we're shown mercy. But loving mercy means loving to receive it and loving to give it. You, you can't just love to receive mercy and not love to give mercy and really, truly love mercy. So loving mercy is as much about loving to give it as it is loving to receive it. And the unique thing about mercy and the way it works is the more you give it, the more you receive it. Now, when we talk about taking after God's own heart, I won't go back and review all of that, but we talked about different situations in my family personally where, where one person would do something that is the same type of mannerism or facial expression or uh, look or what have you as somebody else in the family. And we say, oh, well, look, uh, he's taking after his mother or he's doing that like his uncle or, or you know, these different uh, characteristics, idiosyncrasies, whatever. You know, we, we try to identify, you know, these different things, you know, and, and, and what part of the family tree they came through and are now manifesting in a new member of the family. And, uh, and, and it's a beautiful thing, right? And, and so Father desires for us to take after him in that same way. So let me, let me ask you a, a few questions here, okay? Um, who are you taking after when you show mercy? See, we're, we're taking after God because God shows mercy. That's exactly what Jesus was explaining to us with all of those extreme mercy uh, guidelines that we found in Matthew 5, 
um, is exactly what you know, he's emphasizing there is that when we do these things, that we are showing the same kind of mercy, the same level of mercy, the, the same uh, perfection, the same completion of mercy, if you will, as our Father in heaven. So, again, who are you taking after when you show mercy, right? But there's, a, there's another side of that coin, right? Who are you acting like when you judge others? Whose image are you mirroring, reflecting, when you point out other people's faults, inconsistencies, errors? It's getting quiet up in here. Who, who are we taking after? Who, who are we reflecting? Whose image are we bearing when we bear the image of one judging another person? I think it's pretty clear, right? The Bible identifies who the accuser of the brethren is, and it, and it ain't Jesus. It's not Jesus. Jesus is not the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is not the one nitpicking and pointing out everybody's fault. Not, that's not how he operates. When we do that, we're not taking after our Heavenly Father. We're taking after our Heavenly Father's enemy. To love mercy. Amen. Father, teach us to love mercy. Ephesians 2 says that God is rich in mercy. He's rich in a lot of things. And mercy is one of the things that He is rich in. If I could just because it's Christmas, but I would say this if it was 4th of July as well. It's more blessed to give than to receive applies double when it comes to mercy. We talk about it's more blessed to give than to receive, and that's true. The Bible teaches us that, right? But I believe it is even more so when it comes to mercy, right? Because mercy is one of those things that, that, the more you give, the more, I don't know other things like that, are like that as well, um, but the Bible does tell us to, you know, to, to give when, when you know, no expectation of anybody being able to give anything back to us, that sort of thing. Matt, Matt has a saying, he, and, and I was thinking about that when I wrote that statement, uh, that it's more blessed to give than to receive, and it counts double when you're given mercy. Matt says that when you worship God and you don't feel like it, it counts, it counts double. And um, so, <clears throat> let me, let me just kind of work through a few things here, okay? And I think this is a question that, at least on the surface, we know the answer to, but I want us to drill down in it a, a little deeper tonight, okay? And so here, here's the question. Is God a God of judgment, or is he a God of mercy? And if you answered, either silently or under your breath or whatever, um, if you answered he's both a God of judgment and a God of mercy, you'd be correct. He is both a God of judgment and a God of mercy. But I believe the question deserves more than just a simple or quick answer. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit led me to this question and to, and to kind of meditate on it tonight. And I want to give to you what he gave to me about it. But, but on my way to deeper thoughts, the Lord reminded me that if he were not a God of... My notes just disappeared, so thank you for staying with me for just a moment. Um, 
that if he were not a God of judgment, then he would not have to be a God of mercy. Think about that for a moment, right? In, in other words, if God was not a God of justice, if God was not a God of, uh, of, mercy, of, uh, of justice and judgment, then him, it wouldn't matter whether or not he was a God of mercy because um, the whole reason that we need mercy is because of the judgment that, that, that we deserve and that we have um, coming to us. Amen or oh me, you're still with me. All right, so... Um, <clears throat> So let me rephrase the question then. God is obviously a God of judgment and mercy, and we could spend the rest of this year and most of January of next year just covering all the Bible says about both of those subjects. I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about the judgment of God, and the Bible has a lot to say about the mercy of God. And I don't know, like, if, you know, if there's this many verses on God being a God of judgment and this many verses being, a, uh, you know, God a God of, of mercy. I think, again... He's both, and they go hand in hand. So God is obviously a God of judgment and a God of mercy. But I think here's the better question. Which does he prefer? Which does he enjoy more? Does God enjoy passing judgment more, less, or the same as expressing mercy? Somebody's already said it, okay? But think for a minute about the price he paid for you and how much easier it would have been for him to just go ahead and judge us all. I think it's clear that God is both a God of judgment and mercy, but he prefers mercy. I thought I'd get an amen or something there. Amen. I said he prefers mercy. Would he rather forgive us or punish us? I mean, if he, if he was trying to, you know, if he wanted to punish us, then that, 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 that ship would have sailed a long time ago. Which makes him happier? Giving us what we deserve or giving us what he desires for us to have? Now, there, I got, there's two reasons why I feel like the Holy Spirit was, was leading us down this path, okay? Um, number one, I think to better help us understand the heart of our Creator Father. Clearly, He leans to the mercy side of this, of this conversation. Am I right about this? I, mean, I, I, I think that's uh, as obvious as him being both a God of mercy and judgment. I think it's obvious that he would rather die for you to give you the opportunity to have somebody else judged for your sins so that he wouldn't have to judge you for them, right, than just go ahead and judge us and punish us and get it over with. He has gone to extreme and extreme expensive links on his part to keep from having to judge you and me for our sin. So twofold reason for making these points. One is to help us better understand the heart of our Creator Father, but then the other is to help us determine 
whether or not our hearts align with His in these matters. Okay? In other words, is He quick to get angry or is He slow to anger? The Bible says He's slow to anger. Is He patient with us when we are wrong or easily irritated and quick to blow up and walk away when we're wrong? He's very, very patient with us when we're wrong and when we've been wrong about the same thing for many, many times in a row. So the question then is, what about you? What about me? Which one of these two do you prefer? What makes you happier? What might... (laughs) So... Hear the spirit of this and not the letter, okay? What might other people say about you if they were asked if you, according to their experiences with you, <laughs> come on now, just curious, does, does so-and-so, does he prefer judgment or mercy? Which, which one does, um, does he err on? Which one... Uh, do you lean towards? What might others say if asked the same questions about you? Do you love mercy? Do you love to have it shown to you and to show it? We got too many people in the body of Christ getting way too happy when somebody gets what's coming to them. Father God does not enjoy seeing people receive the negative things that they have coming to them. He does not like it when we reap harvests on bad seeds that we've sown. He he, he doesn't say, well, I, I told you. I told you, just go on and wallow in it. No, see, that's, that's not his attitude. We're talking about being men and women after God's own heart. Ezekiel 33, 11. I'm going to read the verse to you, but let me, let me ask you something. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you know this, maybe you didn't. Did you know the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of a wicked man? Takes no pleasure in the death of a wicked man. Ezekiel 33, 11, it says this, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So you've come too late to tell me that God prefers judgment over mercy. He does not. How about 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but He devises means 
so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. What does that mean? It means God is trying to find a loophole for the people who have been banished because of their choices and because of their actions. He's trying to figure out some way, some means. Let me read it to you again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Some people say that, I don't know if you're familiar with this in the, in the Moses' law where, where they established what's called refuge cities and if you took a man's life accidentally, if, it's almost like when we were kids running for base, you know what I'm saying? It's like if you get to base, you're safe, you know. Um, God established these refuge cities where if, if somebody could get there, then um, they would be protected. Uh, some people say that that verse is referring to that. I think it, it could clearly mean that. But I think it's just more than anything that the specifics and the particulars, it's the heart of God. My friends, we, we were banished ones. The Bible says we were without God and we had no hope of ever being reconnected and reunited with Him. But He sent Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and even the non biological descendants of Abraham, He has uh, brought in. So notice He's saying, that he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. I believe that's at least one of many Old Testament verses that parallel 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. Let me read that one to you. 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. About what he's saying right there the context of this verse is people are saying that god's gone back on his word he promised that he was going to come back and put an end to all this and he hasn't come back yet you know we've been expecting his return now for all these generations and and he hasn't done it and god's you know getting slack on his promises god's letting some things slide that he shouldn't let slide accusing god of needing to tighten up a little bit and the holy spirit through peter says the Lord is not slack concerning what he has promised. But he hasn't, he hasn't come back yet because he's long-suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How about these two verses, Old Testament, New Testament parallels of one another. The first one is in Isaiah 43, 25. God speaking, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 basically says the same thing. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. We have such a limited understanding of our salvation. We tend to look at it in light of what it means to us, what it's done for us, what it's produced for us, and never even consider what it means to God, what it's done for Him, what it's produced for Him. He didn't just save you for your sake, He saved you for His. 
He didn't just do for you what he's done for you so that you could be satisfied and so that you could be content in life. He did what he did so that you could be helped and blessed, but also so that the desire of his heart could be fulfilled, and that is for you to become one with him once again. We sometimes lose sight of that. You see, when Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, he knows what many of us have forgotten. We were created in the image and likeness of the ultimate cheek turner. We were created to look like he looks and to function the way he functions. He is the judge of all the earth. But he doesn't live to judge. He lives to love. He lives to love. Praise God. I want to, um, and I'll finish right here. I want to to read the verses out of... um, Matthew, the fifth chapter, from um, the Message Translation. Praise God. I know I've got them somewhere here in my notes. I thought I did anyway. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We are having a, a little issue. Here we go. Thank you, Lord. I knew I had them. All right. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. From the message. Jesus speaking. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat. Live generously. I like that right there. No more tit for tat. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Come on now. You do realize that people can either bring the best out in you or the worst out in you. Because we are created in the image and likeness of God, I believe we all have the capacity for mercy. We all have the capacity for mercy. Let me, let me get back to the verse. Verse 44. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives His best the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone regardless, the good and bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up, your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. 
Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. I may be stating the obvious, but an opportunity... That's how we've got to start looking at these things, okay? Opportunities. Any opportunity that you have to show mercy means you have been wronged or perceive you have been wronged in some way. Think about that for a minute. Any opportunity to show mercy. See, let me say it another way. Mercy doesn't come into play un, un, unless something has happened that requires either you to drop the hammer on somebody or you show mercy to somebody. Are you, are you seeing this? Keith Moore made such a simple but brilliant point about submission to authority. He, he said this. He said, submission to authority is not really a factor as long as you agree with the authority that's over you. Submission to authority is when the authority that God's put over you makes a decision that you don't agree with. Now you've got to decide, are you going to submit to that authority? So it's very easy for us to think that we're in submission to authority until the authority over us makes a decision we don't like. Then we've got to decide. That's when submission becomes a factor, not, un- not until then, okay? The same is true with mercy. It's very easy to talk about how much we love mercy un- until we're in a situation and have the opportunity to show it. So count it all joy when you fall into different types of test trials and temptations. The Bible says, knowing these things build the endurance necessary to live a lack-nothing life. Perhaps we need to start counting it all joy when we're presented with an opportunity to show mercy because, think with me now for a moment, back to where we were last week and what we tried to review quickly tonight. We don't want to be storing up judgment for ourselves on the day of judgment we want to be storing up stockpiling mercy you you can't you know i i do uh this thing called audible where you get a book and you listen to it right and um it's a monthly thing and you get a credit once a month and and um so that's one of the ways i I redeem the time when i'm driving that sort of thing instead of sitting down and reading i can listen to books and and um and and so i really like that and but, but from time to time you get one credit a month, but from time to time they'll say, you know, this month you can buy three credits for a discounted price, meaning you can use a credit to get a book, right? You can buy three credits. Listen to me. You, you, you can't go buy three mercy credits. You, you understand what I'm saying? If, if you're wanting to stockpile mercy for the days ahead, the only, the only way you can get it is, is to show mercy. So this is why... If, if we would flip the script on the devil, right? Because he's stirring up people to try to offend you, say things that, that get you to, to, to hold unforgiveness in your heart and to, and to, and to cast judgment and, sh- and, and, and be angry and talk about them and complain and all sort of stuff, right? 
if, if we would recognize, right, that, that, that every time the devil does that, he is providing you with an opportunity to show mercy, right, maybe even extreme mercy. But remember, the mercy that you're shown is the mercy that you show. The mercy you receive is the mercy that you give. And so it's an opportunity to show mercy to that person, but add mercy to your account. Amen. Does this make sense to you? If it sounds like I'm trying to put some kind of spin on this, I'm not. We're having to spin it because the devil's painted a completely different picture of this. But in the same way, when we're faced with some test, trial, or temptation, the, the word says, count it all joy. Because the devil's rolling the dice. If you don't cave in, all he's going to succeed in doing is making you stronger and more difficult to deal with the next time he comes around. The same is true when we have an opportunity to show mercy. Don't overlook, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's saying this, so listen to me very carefully, please. Do not overlook the little opportunities to show mercy to people. You've got $183 worth of groceries in your cart, and the guy standing behind you's got a loaf of bread with a wife and three screaming kids in the car. Show him some mercy. Let him go ahead of you. So oh, it's not that big a deal. So the, show the mercy, right? You see, what I'm saying? little things, little things. See, we keep thinking, well, you know, it's, oh, I'm, I'm gonna put all this into practice next time. I really get hurt and offended at somebody. No, no, so don't don't do that. Amen. Be faithful. Learn to be faithful in the little things, and you'll grow and develop. Learn to be generous. If if you normally tip a dollar, add a quarter to it. Make it a buck twenty-five. A little more generous than you were last year. A little more generous than you were last time. Come on, are you with me? Right? This is how we develop this, this taking after God's heart of being generous, taking after God's heart of being merciful, growing in these things, allowing the Holy Spirit to help us develop these things in our lives. Amen? Amen. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for life and peace. Thank you for your hand upon us. Thank you for miraculous breakthroughs in our families, Lord, this beautiful Christmas season. Lord, thank you for um, just being so patient and merciful to people who name a holiday after you and don't ever pay any attention to you, Lord. But that's not us. Father, we, we understand what this is all about. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate what you've done for us and what you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Know that you're loved. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful rest of your day and a very Merry Christmas. Praise God.